Welcome to Off the Record, a new podcast series from Mallory Smart, the founder of Maudlin House and Textual Healing. I'm Matthew Binder, the author of the new novel, Pure Cosmos Club, which comes out May 15th via Stocking Horse Press. Um, I'm going to read to you a, a little excerpt. I guess a little context might be needed for this. Uh, the main character, Paul, uh, has brought his this woman that he's not, not with, but that he's like in love with, uh, to his ex-girlfriend's engagement party. Um, and apparently this causes the uh, ex-girlfriend to become jealous. And now uh, it's a couple days later, and the ex-girlfriend shows up uh, at his at where he lives, which is like this like artist studio. He's an artist, and uh, uh, yeah, you'll the the tone's pretty absurdist. Like the book's pretty absurdist, and yeah, you'll get that. Okay, enough preamble. Here it goes. It's been a week since the engagement party. Rain has fallen constantly, and I've started rewriting the history of my life. Tonight, Winston has taken Blanche to the cinema for a double feature of 101 Dalmatians and Homeward Bound. Uh, Blanche is his dog. Okay. Anyway, the studio is silent except for the whispering of mice. I lie in my bed reading my childhood journal. There was a time when I was full of ambition and guts, but today I'm terrified of everything. The only emotion my past inspires is mistrust. I'm developing a complete inability to rise above things. It takes three pieces of bubble gum to find even a hint of solace. There's a knock at the door. To justify my existence, a sort of last campaign against a regression to total infantilism, I quickly dress and comb my hair, then open the door to find Janie dripping in the rain. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye the other night, she says, so I thought I'd pop in for a visit. Understandably, she excuses herself to the bathroom to gather herself. I boil water for tea and set out a plate of lemon macaroons. When Janie returns, she's wearing only my jacket. I hope this is okay, she says. I fiddle nervously with the knobs of a broken radio while Janie nibbles on a macaroon. There are two dozen cat bags in various stages of completion lying about. You've moved in here full time, she says. I know it doesn't much compare to your new home with Stephen, I say. On the, on the contrary, I, I quite like it, she says, and begins to pace about. It suits you. She stumbles over parts from a disassembled grandfather clock, then gets caught in the colony of furry bats I've made out of cellophane and carpet, all hanging from a beam. Do you know what the problem with happiness is, she says? I wouldn't know the first thing on the subject, I say. Well, even a chance at happiness requires us to give up all desire, she says. Oh, are things not going well with Stephen? When a man is as handsome as Stephen, it's easy to be good-natured, good she says. What he doesn't have is your vagabond spirit. My thoughts go spinning like a thousand deranged ballerinas. My trouble with Janie has never been her, per se, but with her effect on me. With her, always, I lose my sense of self. All my effort always went towards anticipating her needs, which invariably I misjudged. Countless times my best intentions ended, tr ended in tragedy. Once I punched her, punched her uncle in the face over Thanksgiving dinner because of the things he had done to her during childhood. Janie swore the ensuing rift between her and her family could never be repaired. The reason I couldn't see how, how I had harmed her was that my powers of introspection were weak. In short, she said, I was prone to endless self-deception. 
That woman you brought to that woman you brought to the party was very pretty, Janie says. Is she your new girlfriend? I want to tell Janie of my love for Orshi, how I spent half my waking hours and three quarters of my dream life thanking the heavens for her existence. Instead, I merely shrug. Then, to my total amazement, Janie pounces on me like a leopard on a gazelle. She chews on my lips and thrusts her tongue in and out of my mouth. I try to push her off to catch my breath, but she pushes me onto my rickety bed and sets to ripping my pants off with her teeth. She yanks off my jacket and shirt, then slaps me hard, nicking my tooth in the process with her colossal diamond engagement ring. I spit blood all over her neck and breast, which, which against all reason incites her. She takes me in her mouth, the whole thing, until she gags. Her eyes turn bloodshot and tears stream down her face, sooty with her makeup. She climbs on top of me and then beats my chest with her fists, grinding so hard I'm afraid that one wrong move will snap the whole thing off. Finally, she finishes and collapses. One thing I always appreciated about you, she says after a time, is that I never had to feel bad about being brutal or savage. Well, it's nice to have someone with whom to share familiar, familiar things, I say. She reaches for a macaroon and stands... Stands with it naked at the window. Her sweaty body shimmers in the moonlight. I get a bag of ice and press it to my cheek. She touches, she touches my swollen eye. My relationship with Orsi isn't so serious, I say. Truthfully, I hardly ever think about her. I can go seconds, even minutes sometimes, without the image of her face forming in my mind. I hate to admit it, Janie says as she puts on her bra, but I became quite jealous when I saw her kiss you at our party. You don't think her teeth are too white, I say? Her teeth? I think she bleaches them, I say. How could she not? Janie lies down next to me, suddenly very wistful, and we don't speak until, until the whistle and pop of illegal fireworks interrupts our bliss. What is it, Janie says, as I pound a fist against the wall. Well, the other day I sketched a picture of three birds, but only painted two of them. Orshi's husband made a very keen insight about the work, only I didn't realize it at the time, but Orshi insisted I simply hadn't gotten around to finishing the painting. Her remark was so alarming that I just stupidly agreed with it. Janie buries her face in her pillow and screams. Orshi's married, she says, so now you're making a hobby of breaking up relationships? I pick up the pillow and fire it across the room. What is wrong with you, Janie says. Ugh. Or she was right. The crisis of modern men never crossed my mind when I left that bird unpainted. Janie climbs out of bed and starts to dress, cursing at herself as she does. I've never known her to fall prey to petty envy. I place my hands on her shoulders and look, look into her cinnamon eyes. I know you said you like the studio, I say, but we don't have to live here. I have to go home, she says. Stephen gets back from his doctor's without borders trip in the morning. He seems like a good person, I say. Please try to let him down gently. I'm afraid you have the wrong idea, Paul, she says. Well, if you want to keep us both, I say I'm not opposed. This was a terrible mistake, she says. We can never see each other again. Janie kisses me on the cheek and then is out the door. I stand there naked for several minutes before Winston and Blanche return from the movies. Okay, well, that's uh, the excerpt. Kind of racy. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. I don't know. That's for you to judge. Uh, I'm pairing it with a song. It's a, the song I decided to pair it with is uh, George Michael's Careless Whisper. It's a song about 
cheating. And uh, this excerpt is about cheating. Everybody's cheating on everybody. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Mallory, for having me on. I hope you don't regret it. Um, and thank you to all the listeners. Thanks for uh, giving me your your time. Okay, that's enough out of me. It's Matt Binder, reading from Pure Cosmos Club. Bye.